Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. So self-driving cars, are they a promise or a threat? Eddie Alterman of Car and Driver magazine. People will deal with or accept flawed humans crashing into each other. I don't think people will accept supposedly fail-safe machines crashing into each other. It's a scary concept, (laughs) any way you look at it. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Self-driving cars, Jim, they're coming, but are we ready? Good question. Google and some of the other big tech giants have started saying it's time to take the driver out of the vehicle equation. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, but our guest today argues that autonomous cars might really be a solution in search of a problem. Okay, this is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our guest today is Eddie Alterman. Eddie's the editor-in-chief of Car and Driver magazine. Now, I need to do a full disclosure. Yeah. Eddie and I uh, used to work together back when I was at Popper Mechanics. So if we, if you find us, you know, lapsing into don't, our don't own worry. private language, just kick me under the yeah, table. Yeah, interrupt. But anyway, welcome to the show, Eddie. Thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. The name of your magazine is Car and Driver. Right. So how did you feel when a few years ago when you first started hearing the news about Google and others doing this research into self-driving cars? Well, you know, we're very pro-car, we're very pro-driver, and we're very pro-progress. Um, but we still thought of the uh, autonomous car as sort of an existential threat uh, to the magazine, but also to driving joy. And, um, you know, the, the autonomous car... Um, has been in the works for decades. Buick had an autonomous freeway back in 1958 that they showed with the Motorama. So, Eddie, is part of the problem the name self-driving car or the phrase autonomous car? No, I think uh, a rose by any other name, you know what I mean? It's it's a scary concept, (laughs) any way you look at it. And the autonomous car is a very inelegant and very complex and very fraught solution to the problem of texting while driving and information coming into the car while people should be driving. And um, to me, it's no coincidence that the rise of the smartphone, the rise of texting has been met with this solution. And not surprisingly also, the solution is at the hands of the data giants 
who are colonizing the car, you know, through Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, um, trying to get as much information about drivers as possible. So this is really their solution to allow drivers to keep on texting while they should be driving. So you're saying it it doesn't address a problem that we necessarily need to have addressed, but it, it solves a problem for them and it creates a bigger business opportunity for them. Well, yes and no. I think, you know, there are a lot of people who see cars as sort of a necessary evil and want to get from point A to point B, want to do so um, with the least stress possible. And they see autonomous cars as a way to not have to deal with the stop and go and the annoyance of having to drive in traffic. But I think the big data companies look at it as a way to take more of your time to up your productivity, to keep you working. Um, And I think that's a bad thing. Well, you know, there was a big McKinsey report last year about the future of the self-driving car. And they talked about that 26 minutes, a typical commute, and and how valuable that time would be to those data giants. They estimated that for every additional minute that people spend online in their cars would be worth about five billion dollars globally in digital, that's right digital media revenues that's right they want you submitting data they want to deliver ad messages to you that's what they want but what do drivers want what do drivers like about their cars i mean is a sense of control part of it certainly and this varies with uh, how much car enthusiasm is in people's blood but um people give up control at their peril they don't realize in every case how freeing and how amazing self-determination is. You know, the central metaphor of the car is freedom, or it has been, because everybody could get in a car, drive anywhere they wanted without having to tell anybody. But now that metaphor is changing. And I think that people are looking at the car as not something that enables freedom. I'm not talking about enthusiasts here. I'm talking about the vast majority of commuters. They're looking at the car as something that disrupts their communication because the phone is really kind of the connect and control device that the car used to be. It's the thing that connects you with people. And if you're in the car and they tell you that you can't text, well, then they're cutting off communication with your social circle. What about safety? What about the promise that a self-driving car or an autonomous car would improve driver safety? I think there's no question that it would. But people will deal with or accept flawed humans crashing into each other. I don't think people will accept supposedly fail-safe machines crashing into each other. So there may be hundreds of wrecks a day across the country that don't really make national news. But the first time a robot car runs into a school bus or, or just hits somebody, it's, that is going to be news around the world. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's absolutely terrifying to think that uh, the machine that was built to protect you kind of has a mind of its own or has made bad decisions. And, and there have been Google cars already that have been involved in fender benders. And, of course, even though it was probably the fault of the human driver in the other car, still... Uh, the failure of these systems to anticipate human behavior in other drivers, which is something we're pretty good so at. So whose fault is, is, is that? Is that the human's fault? 
I mean, you know, Eddie, Eddie, I know you've thought a lot about this complicated dynamic we have when we're on the road where we're incredibly good at anticipating the behavior of other drivers and pedestrians through some kind of miraculous, you know, human brain system right. that that may be able to to gauge when somebody is going to roll through a stop sign or or behave erratically. That's right. And we completely underestimate the power of our own brains and how nuanced they are and how evolution has given us all of these uh, great tools and skills to identify stuff like, you know, the body language of somebody's head, a pedestrian's head, if they're going to be walking across the street or if a dog is going to jump out in front of you um, or even a car can has its own body language. And you can tell by the kind of angle of the front wheels if somebody is going to come into your lane or if their speed is erratic. You know, we, we have all these amazing ways to judge things and computers are really smart and they're they're achieving their own level of nuance. But I don't think it'll ever be as good as the human brain. You know, I, I think that um, the the driven car and the autonomous car, these are kind of, these are incompatible. And I say that because the autonomous car requires a closed network of cars in constant communication. Um, car-to-car communication is what will enable autonomous cars to get out of each other's way and to manage traffic and to manage the streetscape. So you're saying that, that autonomous cars require other autonomous cars on the road to rather work. than ca- to work properly rather than cars driven by people. That's exactly right. And that's what the Google thing showed us, that you have a Google car at a stoplight and because it can't communicate with uh, the, the human-driven cars, it's completely out of sync in that environment. So what I'm saying is if you have one autonomous car, for the, the system to work properly, every car has to be autonomous. And I would submit that that's never going to happen. There will never be an autonomous motorcycle. There will never be an autonomous dog <laughs> that, that runs out into the street. And that is, that is why I think that, you know, what they call stage six, full autonomy, no driver behind the wheel. That's why I think that's never going to happen. But there are places where you could do this. I mean, one of the things that they've talked about a lot, and I think is a, it could be a pretty promising idea, is let's say you set aside a special lane, like a diamond lane running from L.A. to San Francisco, where all these autonomous cars that can talk to each other, they take that lane, they can drive um, you know, very close together because they're all in communication and at pretty high speed. So you'd reduce wind resistance. You could get from yeah. L.A. to San Francisco in you know, a couple of hours and um, presumably with a high level of safety. So what if we did set aside certain parts of the the highway infrastructure for self-driving cars sure, and also that, self-driving trucks? Full, sure, but that's not full autonomy because you'll have to get to that lane somehow. Mm-hmm. The car will have to drive itself to that lane. And I think uh, secondary to that point, say we're in a big train of cars going 180 miles an hour, with no drag, uh, you know, up the five, getting from L.A. to to San Francisco. And they're traveling three inches apart from each other. Mm-hmm. So they're drafting. You're, you're, t- if- you're taking a slightly more aggressive version of this than I would, <laughs> than I typically do. I, but but go, go with to, it. Run with it. Jim, Jim I'm trying to make it fun. I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying to make autonomy seem fun. So um, let's say somebody blows a tire 
in that train, what happens? And who's to blame? The tire manufacturer? The, the vehicle manufacturer for allowing the cars to travel like that? What happens when an act of God, you know, a goose is in the middle of the highway? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What happens? It seems like you're making a pretty powerful argument. You're making a pretty powerful argument that we will not in any time soon get to a truly self-driving car. But what about going halfway where we continue to improve the safety of cars using mechanisms in the background? Uh, for instance, cars that are self-parking or cars that really notice when you're veering out of your lane. Th- using technology to truly make driving safer but not give up this illusion of control on the part of the motorist. Right, and, and that's happening. And we're going to be improving um, the sentience of cars. Yeah, make it make it fun, though. I mean, what sort of things are are ahead in the near future that we don't have now in cars that that get us closer to self-driving cars, but not all the way there? Well, you could play Candy Crush the whole time. That would be really fun for a lot of people, I think. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Let me just say this, like Bernie Sanders. Let me just say this. (laughs) There is something that happens to the human brain to the non-conscious part of the brain um, when you're driving. When you're in motion, you're sitting still, but you're in motion. You're controlling this car. You're cruising along at 80 miles an hour. You're operating a vehicle with your conscious mind, but it's also enabling the non-conscious part of your brain to be really active. And some of the greatest thoughts that I'm sure we've all had have been when the conscious part of the brain is occupied mm-hmm. and it frees the non-conscious to, to really explore and to really solve problems and to think about things. And if, if we take that away, if our time in the car while we're traveling at 80 miles an hour, if we take that away and trade it for more work, uh, more submission of data to Google, I think we're losing a a kind of productivity and a kind of creativity that a conspiracy theorist might almost argue that that ability to drive long distances has enabled the American exceptionalism of the 20th century. That's a great claim. So you're saying the big data companies want to colonize this last remaining patch of time, but it's really valuable to have that, that 
engaged downtime in our lives. That's right. And a commute for some people is an important part of their day where they organize their thoughts, they solve problems, they they are able to uh, arrange what they're going to do at the office before they get there, and it makes them more efficient. But I think it's a little bit invisible to us, so we, we don't we don't prize it. But I think it's there and I think it's real. And I think that that's one of the biggest things we'll lose. You know, um, we wrote a column a while back saying that the um, only sensible course of action is to bar communication from coming into and going out of the car, make it a dead zone. And we got a call from one of our PR friends at one of the large multinational car companies. And he said, thank you for saying that. That was the greatest thing ever. Of course, we can't say it, but we want to. Um, they, they really think that the next wave of surprise and delight features in the cars, and these are the things that really, really sell new cars, that they're all software-based. Mm-hmm. It's not about hardware anymore. It's about software. Well, like entertainment and, systems in your car, for instance. That's exactly right. The central right. L- screen. Listening to a podcast so easily. Yeah, of course. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, when you, ask, when you ask what the benefit really would be, I think it's podcasting. Right. We're all, we're, well, we're all for we're, that. We're all for that. And for yeah. all the people listening to your car. Well, of course, there's a big difference between the level of engagement of reading and sending a text, even if, it, if it's on a screen, and listening to radio or, or a podcast in the car, which I think is a wonderful use of that, of that time. What are some of the areas where technology can help with driving, can make the system more efficient in traffic jams, other improvements? Well, yeah. I mean, if you use Waze, uh, which I do. You mean the, it, the, yeah, the driving app that helps you uh, spot traffic jams and speed traps and stuff like that? That's right. I mean, it's a brilliant application of high-speed data and uh, a user network because it's telling you the quickest way in any city to get to your destination. And it's also alerting you to cops on the way. And that sort of stuff is fantastic. I think that the incredible efficiencies that could be created by car sharing and and alleviating a lot of the time that that cars spend sitting idle uh, would make for a much more efficient system. It's going to also take a kind of social change or a psychological change about ownership. I think that's already happening in um, the generation younger than us. They don't quite seem to have, and I'm generalizing here, they don't quite seem to have the same sort of attachment to stuff that uh, maybe baby boomers or Gen Xers do. Stuff doesn't define them the same way. So car sharing, I think, is perfectly timed for this generation. Especially in urban areas. So, Eddie, give us a sense where we are right now with the technology. And some of this is already in cars today. That's that's exactly right, Jim. A lot of this technology is um, front-loaded into cars right now, Stuff like lane keeping assist, radar based cruise control that that um, maintain a proper falling distance from the car ahead. You know, there's a Mercedes Benz and a BMW and a Tesla and Infinity that all uh, have these semi autonomous features. We actually did a test with uh, those four vehicles and we judged them on the basis of how many times they kind of lost the scent, how many times they they stepped out of communication with the road lines. And the Tesla was best, but it still, I think, stepped out 
uh, on our 50 mile loop 29 times. Wow. So they're not, not quite there yet, but when these things do step out, when they step out of the lane and they don't quite get it right, it is frightening. My goodness. It is really, really scary. So you're saying that even though these systems exist and they're getting better, they're they're not good enough now for the driver who's relying on them to even totally relax. So if you think you can go down the road and send some texts while your semi-autonomous system is keeping you in the lane, you might find yourself in big trouble. That's exactly right. And, and, and it'll be your fault. And there's one thing we, we've, we've ignored. I love this headline out of a story that uh, popped up a couple of days ago. Self-driving cars could lead to more sex in vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, probably brief bouts of it. <laughs> but you're saying you want everybody to take a step back. And before we make this headlong rush to embrace all these features as an unqualified good, to appreciate some of the good things about the current system. Right? Is that what I'm hearing from you? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and to not take for granted the simple joy of self-determination and going where you want without observation, without distraction, without people trying to colonize your time. I think driver-oriented car companies like Mazda, Porsche, uh, Lamborghini, Ferrari, you know, their unique selling proposition is the way the cars drive. You know, Sir William Lyons, who ran Jaguar, he said that the car is the closest as ma that man has created to an animal. And I think that's absolutely true. You know, in as much as the car replaced the horse, there's still some of the horse left in the car. There's still some of that interaction and that feedback and that joy and that two-way communication between you and the machine. And the best cars, Porsche 911s, Mazda Miatas, they really do enrich your life. They really do give you back a tremendous amount of feeling, a tremendous amount of joy. And I don't think that a car company like Mazda or Porsche is doing themselves any favors by obliterating or, or um, downplaying that connection. Eddie Alterman making the case for having the animal and keeping the robot at bay. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It was a real pleasure. So my biggest takeaway from our talk with Eddie Alterman is his insight that the reason we're hearing so much about autonomous cars now isn't so much that drivers need it or want it or, or want it, but that the big data companies want that time that we spend behind the wheel because God forbid there'd be a few minutes of our day when we're not constantly being monitored by Google and Facebook. And yeah. So once again, it's the social media firms, the hugely profitable Google and, and Facebook driving the conversation. So so that's a, a reason for us all to be wary and think about this problem differently. At the same time, there are a lot of positive elements, if not in fully autonomous vehicles, in some of the technologies that can help make cars semi-autonomous. Yeah, the thing that really surprised me the most was that the editor of Car and Driver, I hadn't thought of that, Car and Driver magazine, really thinks that um, autonomous cars just are not something that you can have with cars driven by human beings. In this open mix system, as he says. Right. And so so let's look at some of the things that technology can do to improve 
driving and make driving safer. Okay, well, some of these things are happening already, and we've we, we, and we're in the midst of a of a decades long process. We've had, you know, anti lock braking systems. Now the cruise control systems are getting smarter. Can monitor when you're getting too close to the cars in front of you. Lane departure warnings. These things are getting to be commonplace on luxury cars. They will filter down to other cars. I think they will make the world safer, and I think. We should embrace them, but be aware that every new piece of technology put in a car also maybe makes us a little bit less alert and and maybe erode some of our skills. We need to fight back against that. Because we already have a jump in accidents related to distractive driving, especially texting. And the more that we give drivers the illusion, don't worry, the car will take care of things for you, the more that we invite those accidents. You see the same problem in airline pilots. You know, when they depend too much on autopilot, their core flying skills gradually erode. I think Eddie's most radical suggestion is one that would be extremely hard to implement, but that's making the car kind of a dead zone where there, where you don't allow two-way communication from the car, no texting. You you know you could allow podcasts and radio and stuff, but no no two-way communication other than a phone call. So only one-way communication would be allowed. I, I just don't think that's realistic. I, I, don't I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think consumers would go for it, which is part of which is another reason the car makers. You know, you can't really blame them for wanting to solve this problem by making the car more capable of taking over from that driver who they know is distracted. What's what's intriguing about all this, though, is that if we did totally go to autonomous cars, if there were no drivers involved in cars, they would be a heck of a lot safer. Oh, there's no question about it. Now, the, at McKinsey report I mentioned, they estimated cars would be 90 percent safer. I think if everybody was autonomous, it would probably be more like 99 percent. So, you know, that is possible. But here's what's going to happen, I think. Eddie's making the case that that private passenger cars as autonomous vehicles is a, uh, not a very efficient way to solve the problem. But I think we will see autonomous trucks starting an off-road, off-highway situation. It's already going to starting to happen, like in the oil fields of Canada. And then we'll see um, maybe these diamond lanes that are dedicated to autonomous cars that can communicate. There's some really big pluses here in terms of energy savings, efficiency of travel, safety. So I think if we can, to some degree, separate this the autonomous vehicles from regular vehicles, th- there is some positive progress to be made there. And just with the Prius, we could have hybrids where you have a car that's in self-driving mode part of the time on these special diamond lanes, but but not in that mode when you're on a regular, regular I, I road. I don't think there's much question. That's that's where we're going. In California, they recently you know, said they're going to require that even the fully autonomous vehicles Google's claiming they're going to be able to make would still have pedals and a steering wheel. The final thing, though, I think the most important thing we heard from Eddie Alterman is let's not forget about the joy of driving, about the experience of being a human being in control of this beautiful machine, being fully engaged and in the moment in your environment and not continually allow our lives to slip where we're never really present. We're always living somewhere else through social media or entertainment. Be here now. Pay attention. Put your hands on the wheel and drive. Here now is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. I'm Jim Meggs. And thanks for listening. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Our audio engineer, Denise Barbarita. Here at the beautiful Mono Lisa Studios in Uptown Manhattan. The music's by Lou Stravinsky, and the show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. We also consult. Thanks for listening. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.